Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Eiton, here as always with Todd Adkins. Hello, hello. And today we're joined by Vance Pittman. Vance is the president of Send Network, which is the North American Mission Board's church planting efforts. Prior to this role, he planted and pastored Hope Church in Las Vegas for 21 years. Vance, super excited to have you on the podcast here today. Hey, great to be with you guys. Love what you do. Uh, love the impact that's having in the world of leadership. And thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Hey, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks because you're going to come do CPLF with me. In oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm excited to be there. It's my first time at that event and looking forward to getting to connect with leaders in that space across uh, many different tribes. Oh, it's it's absolutely amazing. You have 76% of church planting is represented in that room because it's it's all the denominations and major networks like the leaders of those gather a couple times a year and between the two times that we gather most are most are around and it's crazy because you know i met a guy that's like he's a seventh day baptist and i'm like i don't even know what that is <laughs> but apparently they plant like nine churches a year so so he's there you there go. along with it. along with all, all kinds of folks so it's 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 a really great thing and mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to seeing you in person as well yeah okay. i can't but I, I i didn't know that i didn't even know that existed that's the first time i'd heard of it so i'm excited well, we to come man i'm looking forward to it except for now <laughs> i like it <laughs> anything that Stetzer's uh, terribly involved in we we try to keep it a secret as long as possible that so is wise it wise is. wise it is all right. Okay. So we're going to get into it. You've been on the podcast before. So you've already answered the first five questions. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't do my due diligence to see what episode number that was. But if you Google it, you'll find it. Here's the second set of five that Vance is going to go through today. So I'm going to kick us off with the first question. What's a conflict? This was this is so easy, Vance. What's a conflict hmm. or failure that's benefited you and your leadership? <laughs> yeah, the hard part of this question is narrowing it down to which <laughs> which failure you want to talk about. Because uh, when you've been doing this a long time, there's a list of things that you could grab from. But probably the most significant in my life was kind of a combination failure conflict that happened in the first church that I pastored. I had been in ministry leadership about seven years and became a pastor of a church at a young age. I was a young pastor and pastored in a small town in Tennessee while I was going to seminary. And, you know, I went in there and up until that point in my life, like, man, the primary call on my life was ministry. I was driven. I wanted to get in there and see the church grow. That's what we were supposed to do. I didn't know that not everybody in the church wanted it to grow. I didn't know that that wasn't a thing everybody was excited about. I had a unique structure. It was a Baptist church that had 13 non-rotating deacons that chaired every major committee, which, you know, in my understanding of what a deacon was and their understanding of a deacon was, was two different things. What it really was, was they were the elders of the fellowship and I was the weekend preacher. I didn't understand that because when they had called me, I thought I was asked to be the pastor of the church. And so for three and a half years, man, we we drove and we we I was driven. We saw it. God do a lot of great things. I mean, in a small town of 4000 people, we saw 300 plus people baptized into the church in a three year period of time. Uh, the church more than doubled in attendance, grew to uh, in a town of 4000, a church running six, seven hundred people and weekend worship services. But long story short, like I said, that not everybody was excited about the growth. 
There began to be a real conflict between me and the leadership, those 13 non-rotating deacons that chaired all the major committees in the church, finance, personnel, long-range planning. And I was young. And so I'm sure part of the failure on my part was just an arrogance in in style because I didn't understand, you know, as a young 20-something pastor, what I understand today in my 50s about pastoring and, and servant leadership. So I was probably more abrasive than I needed to be. But at the same time, it was a, a conflict of what the role was, of who was actually leading, what, who, what the grace giftings were to be in leadership. So long story short, we began to reach people in the community that didn't look like the people in our church. Uh, they were different cultures, different colors of people. And I had followed a pastor that had taught the old curse of ham theory from where black people came from is the way he taught it. And so I didn't know I'd stepped into that. Hmm. So there was this racial tension going on. I hired the first youth pastor in our church that taught that it was not a sin for people to date people that weren't of their same race, which had always been taught there. Hmm. And so there was a plan put in place. And in six months, I was asked to leave by that leadership team. It was a really ugly situation. A lot of lies were told about me and my family. We wound up stepping away from that that season of ministry, really hurt and wounded. And I'll never forget the, the last night we had this big church vote and uh, we lost the vote and I stepped away. And one night lost everything I thought I'd, I had, but I came to the, the point in my life where I had nothing left but Jesus to the greatest discovery of my life. And that's that Jesus is enough. And here's here's why that failure was such a great catapult for me up until that moment. If you'd asked me, what's the primary call on your life? I would have said the primary call on my life's ministry. It was in that moment that I began to understand the primary call on my life's not ministry. The primary call on my life is intimacy and ministry is what he does out of the overflow of intimacy. Uh, and it revolutionized my understanding of what God had called me to do as a spiritual leader. That spiritual leadership was not what I did for him. Spiritual leadership's what he did through me out of the overflow of my intimate love relationship with him. And it was that simple lesson that drove me to the Gospels, pursuing the life of Christ, that ultimately God used to call me to Las Vegas. I was one morning just reading in the Gospels, pursuing Christ's life intimately and I saw this passion in Jesus for other cities and the kingdom of God in Luke 4. And it was that call, that that moment with the Lord that God used to catapult my family to Vegas. It wasn't sitting in a whiteboard session, dream, dreaming up something great to do for God. It was really born out of intimacy, learning that everything Jesus wants to do through my life, he'll do out of the overflow of what he's doing in my life. And when you grasp that as a spiritual leader, there's incredible freedom. We just close a prayer if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that's where I was going to go with that is I know so many or I've heard so many stories about guys who will go into somewhere and, you know, it, they get run off or run out or whatever you want to say. And they end up leaving the ministry. And so I don't want to put I words to. to your <laughs> mouth, but I, I want to ask you about that. Choosing yeah, no, to, I wanted to. Choosing to embrace that or, or like, how did you process that yeah. and with your wife? Yep. So I wanted to, to be honest, at that moment, uh, we thought I was done with ministry. Not that I was done with Jesus or the kingdom, but I figured I can get my paycheck from somewhere other than a church and leverage my life for the sake of the kingdom. So I was going to do something else. The problem is nobody else offered. <laughs> I didn't get any job offers to do anything else. And my dad's church in Memphis, Tennessee reached out to me. At this point, I would have been 28, 29 years old. They reached out and asked me to 27, 28 years old, asked me to come to their church in Memphis. And they basically hired us to love us back into the ministry. 
Mm. Uh, as I look back, you know, 25 years now, that church in Memphis, Tennessee is my Philippi. And I mean that in the sense that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and said, every time I think of you, I thank God for you because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Like they'd stood with Paul for years. And that that church in Memphis, Kirby Woods Baptist Church, hired me to move there really to love us back into the ministry. And it was there that God really began to teach me this, that I had been so consumed with what he'd called me to do that I'd forgotten about what he'd called me to be. We're not human doings, we're human beings. He called me to be something. And what he wanted to do through me, he was going to do out of the overflow of what he was making me to be. And so my simple call was to be with him. Up until that point, there were verses in the Bible that made no sense to me. Like when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, come to me and rest, like rest easy and light. Are you kidding me? Like you couldn't have picked three words that were further removed from my experience of ministry than rest easy and light. Like if you'd let me pick words, I'd have said work hard and heavy. That's what ministry is. But rest easy and light, that's who Jesus is. And when we begin to pursue him, he begins to do through us more than we could have ever imagined. People ask me, man, how does a dude from Alabama wind up in Las Vegas? Not because I had a great idea to do something for God. I was simply sitting one morning pursuing intimacy with the Father, read Jesus say, I must preach the kingdom to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. My wife and I said, Lord, yes, we don't know where, we don't know where, when, but the answer is yes. Two weeks later, somebody reaches out and says, hey, we believe you're supposed to start a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. And God filled in the blank with the, the Las Vegas and the rest is kind of 20 plus year history for my family. But it was born out of intimacy, not some great. And so here's the question I've asked myself, Todd, a bunch of times. What if I hadn't been with him that morning? Like I look back 20 plus years, all that God's done in Vegas, you know, a church that's baptized close to 5,000 people, first generation believers into the fellowship, sent hundreds out, planted 80 churches, missionaries serving on four continents around the world. And again, don't miss what I'm saying. God didn't need me to do any of that. He was doing that with or without me. But what if I hadn't been with him that morning when he invited me into that? I'd have missed the greatest ride of my life. And it makes me wonder, right. what have I missed often because... For many of us, ministry is the great love affair that woos us away from intimacy with Jesus. Ministry becomes the, the excuse why I don't have time to be with Jesus. And here's what I've learned. Every man that I know that had an affair in ministry first had an affair with the ministry that wooed him away from intimacy with Christ and opened him up to things he never thought he'd do. And so both my wife and I together had to learn this lesson of pursuing intimacy with Jesus and letting the rest of it go. That's so good. Do we close in prayer I'm, again on this one? No, <laughs> we close in prayer killing me. Episode three. <laughs> no, um, we do need to ask other questions, but I want to ask more questions yeah. about about your your church in Las Vegas and and that story, just because it it sounds really powerful. So I'm mm -hmm. going to skip question two, Dan, and why don't you ask set up question three? in a way that uh, allows them to, to share a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So so question three was, uh, what do you want your leadership legacy to be? But in, in kind of sharing that, you've you've obviously you were at Hope Church for 21 years and now you're leading, you know, North Nam's, you know, church planting efforts. Like how does how did all that come about? And you know, how do you think the Lord kind of laid that that path for you? 
Yeah. So for me, you know, when you talk about what, you know, leadership legacy and what that looks like, I don't ever really think about it in those terms. But when you ask that question of, of, you know, how that came to be and what you want people to think about, I had a guy early on in, in ministry. I was I was very driven early on. And he he got in my face one day and said, Vance, you're going to have to stop hiring your friends or you're going to have to change the way you lead. And I said, what do you mean? He said, because you're killing them. He said, because you're at a pace and you run at a pace and you lead at a pace that your friends love you too much not to try to keep up. And they are literally killing themselves because they love you so much. They don't want to disappoint you. He said, and you're burning through them. You're going to have to either stop hiring your friends or change the way you lead. And it really caused me to think about, well, I don't want to not hire my friends. I want to, I want to do life with people that, that I want to do life with. So I got to think about the way I'm leading. And for me, when I think about the way that I lead, I, I want those who serve alongside me in, in any role, whether it was when I was pastoring or now in what I'm doing with, with the North American Mission Board and SIN Network, I want the people that serve alongside me to say two things. I want them after whether it's a year or 10 years, or I've had some people we've, we've worked together for 20 plus years. I want them to say two things. Number one, I want them to say, because they served alongside me, they are more in love with Jesus. Like they know what it means is it goes back to what I was talking about in question one. Like if, if we're so doing the work that we've forgotten why he invited us to himself, Jesus didn't bring us into relationship with himself just so we could do something for him. He brought us to relationship with himself because he wants to be with us. And so I want the people that work around me to say, man, working around Vance, I tell you, there, there's a lot of stuff, but here's what I know, man, I, I love Jesus more. And I'm, I cultivate a deeper, intimate fellowship with Jesus because I've worked on this team. And then secondly, I want them to have a greater passion for the kingdom and be better equipped for kingdom service. For too long in the church in North America, we put all the emphasis on the local New Testament church. And listen, I'm a church dude. I've given my life to pastoring and planting churches. I believe the local New Testament church is the only means to the accomplishment of the mission of God in the world. But here's the deal. The local New Testament church is the tool that he gave us for the accomplishment of the mission. It's not the mission. The mission is the kingdom of God being expanded in cities and nations all over the world. And some would push back and say, well, the big C church, that's the bride of Christ. Yes, the big C church is synonymous with the kingdom, but the little C local church is temporary. Every local church is going to die. If you don't believe me, go find any church Paul wrote to in the New Testament. Every church got a book deal in the Bible is dead and gone. <laughs> but the kingdom is alive and well. So the degree to which we leverage our lives for the sake of the kingdom and we equip ourselves for service in the kingdom, that's what I want people to say. Man, I want people that have walked with me in leadership to say, I love Jesus more and I am more passionate about the kingdom of God and better equipped to serve the kingdom because of my role. Okay, you have a baseball in your hand. I, I do. <laughs> and we had a conversation before we hit record. We had about a 10-minute conversation about football and baseball, and you presented a theory. I did. Which I think is a pretty good theory about how it affects a team or it affects a player when they're out of their rhythm for a little bit. So – I promise this is leading somewhere. I'm I'm, yep. I'm going into our next question, which is what habits or, pra or practices do you focus on so you can continue to, to learn and develop as a leader? But, you know, I do want you to explain that what you I want you to expound upon your baseball theory uh, okay. and then 
pull it into the pastorate, please. I will. I will. Yeah. So, and this is like my, my two worlds colliding. I love sports. If I couldn't do, if God hadn't called me to ministry, I was in college majoring in radio, television, and film. I wanted to get into sports broadcasting. Uh, I'd done radio full time as an on-air personality. And so I love, that's one of the reasons I love podcasts because I feel like I'm back in my radio vibe again. Right. But so, so for the second year in a row in Major League Baseball postseason, they give the four top teams a bye out of the first round of the playoffs. Now, in every other major sport, a bye is a good thing. In football, in basketball, a bye means you have time to get healthy. You have time to rest. You have time to get your body back to 100% from the, the, the physicality of the game of basketball, of hockey, of, of football. Baseball is a different sport. Deion Sanders was just asked the question, you played football and baseball professionally. What's the hardest thing you ever did in sports? And he said, without hesitation, hitting a baseball. He said, you hit a baseball three out of 10 times, you're in the Hall of Fame. You can fail 70% of the time and you're one of the best in the game. Baseball is all timing and rhythm. And if your timing and rhythm is off, you're off. That's why baseball is the only major sport that when guys come off injury, they send them to the minor leagues for a week to get their timing and rhythm back before they put them back in the major leagues. So for two years in a row, they've given the four best teams a bye and they sit for a week while the other teams play. And for the second year in a row, three of those four teams get put out of the playoffs because their timing and rhythm is off. And I think it's something Major League Baseball has got to address. I don't know that they will. So those habits and practices of timing and rhythm are key to being able to execute on a baseball field. And just like that, with your question, all of us have uh, habits, practices, rhythms in our lives as leaders that allow us to continue to develop. And for me, I, I got four habits that I focus on in my life to make sure I continue to develop as a leader. So I'll give you, I don't know how you may do them, you do one at a time, let you ask questions or go through the four real quick. The four, I'll give them to you in a word, relationships, reading, rhythm, and rest. That's the four relationships, readings, rhythms, and rest uh, relationships. I got to have people speaking into my life. Leadership may be lonely at times, but it cannot be done alone. A lot of leaders say, man, leadership's lonely. It is lonely at times, but it can't be done alone. Leadership implies there are other people involved in following your leadership and speaking into you as a leader. So when I'm talking relationships, I need four relationships in my life to continue to develop. I need somebody more experienced than me, giving me wisdom. I want somebody less experienced than me, bringing fresh eyes and passion. I want somebody that knows me really well, that can give me honesty. And then I want somebody that's got nothing to gain from me, that can give me unbiased perspective. So I make sure, now it doesn't have to necessarily be four different people. Sometimes you can have a couple of those categories in the same person. But in my life, I actually have four different people that fill those four roles that speak into my life because I think I need those relationships to help me to develop. When it comes to reading, I believe leaders are learners. And when you stop learning, you forfeit the right to lead and reading is learning. So I have a, a policy to read minimum a book a month. And when I pastored for 20 plus years for our staff to even qualify for a merit raise. Didn't mean they got one, but to even qualify, 
you had to minimum read a book a month. And if you didn't read a book a month, you didn't even get on the list for, for merit increase conversation. And for me, those books can be in my, my spiritual development, my personal development, my professional development, and then sometimes just enjoyable books. I'm a big Grisham fan, love to read John Grisham. So I, I just always am reading to learn. Three is rhythm. I think healthy, intentional work rhythms have to be involved in our lives. So I, I think in that, in terms of major blocks, that I lay out my life work rhythm in major blocks. And at least twice a year, my executive assistant and I, we evaluate the calendar to make sure that the major building blocks are being accomplished. Because the reality is without work rhythms, the immediate always takes precedent over the important. The important, that guy that says, hey man, you got five minutes. And the five minutes winds up being 50 minutes and you're done for the day. So rhythms have got to be established. And number four is rest. My personal philosophy is work hard, rest hard. Both are spiritual. For a long time, I thought work hard was spiritual. Rest hard was weakness. But Jesus in the New Testament commanded the disciples to come away and rest. It's an imperative in the Greek text, which means rest is a matter of spiritual obedience. If leadership really is all about influence, then arguably the greatest leader who ever lived is Jesus. And Jesus said, we must come away and rest. So those are the four practices that are built into my life to help me continue to develop as a leader. I would love to go back to the, to the relational piece again real quick and just ask yep. you, you know, how does that look like for you when you were you know, leading Hope Church? Was that people yep. inside the church, outside the church, other pastors of other churches, similar sizes, like kind of what did that look like? And then also, how did your wife fit into that? Yep. So uh, it's both and inside and outside. So when I was at Hope, when I was pastoring, the somebody more experienced than me, I had a guy in our church who was a retired HR executive from Apple Computer, retired early in his mid 50s. He stepped into my life and for 16 years has said he walked up to me at church one day. He said, man, I don't I, I'm a new Christian. I've been a Christian a couple of years, but I believe God's called me to you and your family. And so he just would meet with me once a week and do executive coaching, speaking into my life, how to be a leader, what it looked like to lead others, uh, how to manage meetings, how to lead meetings well, how to do correction in one-on-one environments, just all what compensation looked like, how to how to build comp strategy for a team, all that kind of stuff. He just spoke into my life. So had that guy, he was in our church as a leader in our fellowship. The Someone less experienced than me, I had a couple of guys on our staff team and then a couple of church planters that were guys that I would just bounce ideas off of. Because when you've been doing ministry a long time, you can see everything the same way. And you just need some people that have fresh perspective that go, you're like, well, I didn't even think about it like that. They just begin to see things differently. It's like when you have kids, when you have kids, they just see the world differently. Stuff that you just take for granted, your kids are like, wow. And so somebody less experienced than you, often we think about them as only people I can pour into. But often the people less experienced than us bring a perspective that we don't have because it's fresh and it's a two way street of learning from each other. The people that knew me well was often my wife uh, or then a close ministry partner were those people that I knew could if it was a personal situation, I'd get my wife's input and involvement. If it was a, a, a ministry leadership situation, I would often get this other guy's involvement because he'd been doing ministry with me for 15 years. He knew me so well. Uh, he knew what I was thinking. And then for those that an unbiased perspective, those were always outside of my church. Those were other pastor leaders or ministry leaders that were further down the line than me that I knew they didn't want anything from me. They didn't need anything from me. They weren't looking to gain anything from me. 
they would just shoot me straight and give me an unbiased perspective. I love that. I, I think it's so important for pastors. It It's so difficult to draw someone in close that's unimpressed with you. Not yeah. toxic. I'm not saying a toxic You're right. person, but I'm saying a person that knows you and knows your strengths and your weaknesses and yeah. is just... It's not that they don't like you. That's not what I'm saying. No, don't you're right. That person. I'm not saying invite, but somebody that's unimpressed with you. Um, exactly. Other than your wife. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she stopped being impressed a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, long hundred <laughs> uh, percent. But yeah, another uh, another godly dude. I, I think that's so important. It's not comfortable. No. Um, but that's the difference between you and and where God wants you to be. I think in many. That's it. Many. Well, when you when you when you've experienced, and I hate even this word, but the, the what the world would call success in in leadership, it gets more difficult in your organization to find people that aren't impressed by you that don't have a little bit of stars in their eyes when they get in the room. Because when you're a, 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 a large platform leader, you can often take the air out of any room you walk into. And it's needing some other people in other circles that, that don't have those stars in their eyes and are not impressed with you at all that can shoot you straight on some things. Like I'm, I'm walking through some stuff right now in my own life personally in leadership after a transition that we've just gone through with our church. And man, I just needed some perspective from somebody that just was. And so I called one of these guys that's on my list. And over the last month and a half, I've probably spent four hours on the phone with them because I knew they would shoot me straight. Like I knew they weren't going to tell me what I wanted to hear. They weren't going to, they weren't going to pat me on the back and try to make me feel better. They were going to tell me what I needed to hear. And that's, that's right. what I needed to hear. Here's the thing about this. The relational environments you set in your life, you create in your life, set the environment from which decisions will be made. So if you wait until the moment of decision, it's too late. You start making decisions before decisions ever come up by building this relational circle around you so that you have that source of wisdom and input to go to when those critical needs arise. If you haven't built the circle, you're way behind in making the right decision. So well, transitioning from that, um, our last question today is what is the best piece of, of leadership advice you've ever been getting, given? Has that been by one of those guys that have been in your life like that? You know, what's funny is that, that this is another one. There are so many pieces of leadership advice you're given that it's hard to kind of zero in. But there's a piece of leadership advice that was I was given like a drive by, like no joke. This is not a guy. I remember the guy. His name's John Shepard. I, I, John and I met each other through seminary. We've not been. I mean, if I could pick up if I don't even know his number now, but if I could talk to John, it'd be, we know each other, but we never did life together. When we were getting ready to plant, he was I planted 22, 23 years ago. There was not a long list of guys that I knew that had planted churches back then. It's kind of a cool thing now. 25 years ago, there was not a long list of planters in SBC life, the tribe that I was in. And so this was one guy that I knew that had planted. And so I just, man, I asked him, hey, would you give me an hour one day? And in this one hour meeting, uh, the only meeting we ever had, he made this statement. He said, the joy is in the journey. And man, I don't know why, but it resonated with my soul. Leaders are driven. We're focused on achievements destinations, goals, milestones. If we're not careful, we miss so much along the way. For every one major achievement, 
There will be a thousand leadership moments along the way that are shaping the culture of your organization and the people within your organization. And if you're only focused on the milestone, you will miss all of these moments. It's like parenting. If parenting is about getting a kid to graduate high school or getting a kid through college or getting a kid married, if that's all you focus on, think of the million moments you're going to miss along the way. And when he said to me, the joy is in the journey, it just caught me to, to it, it, it got me to focus on all the little moments along the way that I'm just so thankful in the journey of planting for 22 years. I didn't miss out on because those were some of the most precious moments. That's a that's a great word. And uh, something, you know, that's, uh, you know, for me, you know, I'm in my early 40s and, and thinking through where where life's going to take me. I want to be, you know, where the next thing is. And it's so easily to get distracted from that. So uh, appreciate that that reminder. Also, with my own kids <laughs> right now, I've mm. got a four and five year old. So I'm in it that is, boat. I think it's so it, it's so true because, you know, you have a whole gift industry that's based around milestones. You have all these things are based around milestones and it's not, you know, in your marriage, it's, it's not the anniversary milestones. It it Mm -hmm. is the moments you can trip, you can trip over the milestones and miss the moments. That is so, so true. And it happens in ministry all the time. And it happens. Yep. I think if I look back at some of the most meaningful conversations that I've had as well, it was those moments that I didn't expect. It just, you know, it was a, it was a moment that happened. You know, some of those were moments at, you know, some uh, camp experience or, or whatever that, you know, hey, is a, it's, it's a Thursday night. And, you know, we're in the business of trying to create moments in church every That's Sunday. Right. Like right. we want to do whatever is possible to, you know, open up people's hearts and not have anything that happens between the parking lot. And we're, we're trying to do all these things to create the, the openness to that moment. And then sometimes, you know, most of those moments, we will never know uh, the side of heaven. And so I You're think right. it's important to remember that too. And you don't know what word or deed that you may have done that yeah. led to a moment. And I think uh, to, to wrap, bring this back around, I do think that's why the intimacy is so important because mm-hmm. there's all kinds of things I've done over the years that make no sense to me. And I don't know if they had any result, but you know, if I'm impressed upon to do it by the Lord, I do it. My kids are really confused sometimes because they're like, we don't understand why you gave money to this guy, not to this guy, or we don't understand why you did this. Or why did you say this to this person that you don't know? And I'm like, well, because the Lord told me to. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. No, that's it. No. And, you know, for the church planner that might be even listening to this as a leader, like the church planners can set their heart on breaking the first hundred barrier, breaking Mm -hmm. the first 200 barrier, getting to the first permanent facility. And if, if your joy rests in that milestone, there are so many moments that you're going to miss leading up to that milestone that brings so much joy and satisfaction and pleasure in, in leadership and in ministry. 
But if you let it rest on just that one thing, and that's what John said, he said, man, the joy is in the journey. And I just never forgot it. Okay, guys, I hope you would join me in thanking Vance for his time today. And just so you know, a lot of the listeners here listen to the other podcasts that uh, another former co-host and I did a long, long time, Daniel M. We also did New Churches. You can find Vance on New Churches all the time and me on rare occasion. But guys, if you've enjoyed our conversation today, I would really encourage you to look him up and follow him. And guys, go check out that podcast as well. Thanks so much for listening.